Welcome to Season 2 of the CandyCast Podcast. I'm Daryl Kieser, CEO of CandyBox Marketing, and during this season, I'll be interviewing CEOs from various industries that grew rapidly during the pandemic. During these podcasts, I'll be trying to find out how they rose to the top while many of their competitors shut their doors. Grab your favorite candy, sit back, and enjoy. Hey, welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of CandyCast. In today's episode, I'm gonna be interviewing Alex LeDuc from Perch. During the pandemic, he went from five employees to 14 employees and crossed the $1 million revenue threshold. Enjoy. First off, thanks so much for coming uh, to the show today. Really, really excited to hear your story. Um, You know, we met online on LinkedIn and uh, when we had our first conversation, I was just blown away with what you guys are doing and your growth. And so, uh, yeah, just kind of for the audience, it would be great to, uh, just introduce yourself and your company and, and what Perch does. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's awesome to, to be here. Uh, so my name is Alex. I'm founder and CEO of Perch. We are a homeownership real estate ecosystem. So we effectively help Canadians do two things. The first one, which is a uh, top of mind for a lot, is getting into their first home and helping them find the fastest way to get there. And the second one is actually helping them build wealth through real estate after they buy their, their home. Awesome. And, uh, and you know, the, the marketer in me says, okay, so if, uh, if I'm looking to buy a home and uh, I'm looking at advertisements and TD and RBC and CIBC are all saying the same things. Hey, we're going to help you into your uh, home. We're going to help you build wealth. Uh, how are you guys different? Yeah, no, great question. So it's, uh, especially it, most Canadians, actually, I think 60, 70% of Canadians typically go to their bank and like they just kind of look at one option. Um, we operate as a brokerage model, so we actually have access to 25 lenders. They all have different products, but we've built an optimization algorithm that essentially takes those parameters, makes it specific to each person's situation, and then figures out where you should go, what you sh- can do, and essentially we've can, we can cut three-year buying time horizons down to, let's say, six months or even less in some cases based on some of the things that you might not meet at one bank's requirements, but you could meet at another lender. So, so uh, your, your really value proposition is your technology that helps you find out the right solution based on what you are. So it's not like your broker representing one or two options. You're saying, okay, based on all these variables, um, what did you build like a platform? Is it just within a website? What does that look like for, for me as a consumer? Yeah, so it's a, it's a web app. So essentially it's all online. It's a fully digital experience, and it's a mixture of using the technology and the analytics to help guide you through the process. But then we also have our mortgage advisors that are there uh, to reinforce and help you through that process as well. Well, I mean, uh, this has got to be a very popular thing because, like, homeownership, first-time buyers is a massive thing within Canada, GTA, uh, house affordability, right? You hear about it in the news every single day. Um, you know, it, it makes it makes sense. But, you know, you leading your company... What have you seen it do for people that like a bank couldn't do? So if you're just saying, hey, here's a case study of how somebody got into the market where they they were not able to before, what does that actually even look like? Like, it's not like there's some magical loan out there or uh, like, I, I don't even know what it looks like. It's like, what, what types of options or situations do you see that are very unique to, to your platform? Yeah, so I can think of a couple examples offhand. So. Uh, One of them, let's say, is like an insufficient credit score. So somebody's credit score was a bit damaged during COVID. They took on a lot of debts uh, to essentially cover the shortfall. They had a a job loss for a period of time, so they racked up a bit of debt. But we actually have some lenders that offer a cashback product, let's say, for example, to clear out those debts. So in a normal situation, if you go to your lender and they say, oh, you know what, 
your debt's too high, you don't qualify on the ratios. But if you pay out the debts, essentially there is enough capacity for you to then qualify. So we were able to take her from, I think it was about 350 is what the bank told her she qualified for, and we got her up to about 550. Wow. And she was able to buy a condo out west, and then essentially she lives there now and couldn't be happier. Uh, another situation is somebody with, let's say, uh, not a lot of income, uh, very common in self-employed uh, individuals to not you know, fully pay out their business earnings. And then with certain net worth programs that some of our lenders were able to use a lot of their liquid assets that they already own outside of just their income to offset some of their buying power. So we have somebody who could buy, let's say, instead of a, like a $400,000 mortgage, they could get up to like, let's say 800 or 1.2 million. Wow. So, so your technology is, is really just like taking a look at all the variables of a person and then taking a look at like tons, like 20, 25, you're kind of mentioning different options and marrying them up, right? So as opposed to like a, a normal mortgage broker that has, okay, you know, here's my class profile that I'm really good at working with. Here's a couple lenders that I know have programs. You're just really expanding all their options so that you can look for new stuff. That's, that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like, instead of the, like the old, the traditional way of doing it is someone will really kind of, you know, go through the same checklist of things and then go through all the lender products and really do this manually. We essentially have, so, so 25 lenders, but we've had access to about over a thousand mortgage options since each lender has so many different like products and variables. And then our system will actually then just optimize it immediately. So you're essentially able to get all these insights as a user within like, let's say two minutes without having to talk to anybody. And then the broker essentially, or the mortgage advisor helps you solidify the plan you've chosen, but it immediately gets you thinking about all the things that were possible. Because a lot of people are pretty, I guess today, especially pessimistic about ever achieving home ownership, but we're essentially able to kind of open the door and go, hey, like, you know what? This is actually a pretty realistic target that you have. Uh, and then getting them to think about it and then locking down a plan and actioning on it. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, I think your offering almost is going to you know, be a bit of a spoiler alert to why you guys are growing. I mean, that's just an incredible idea. Um, but uh, tell me about uh, the beginning of the pandemic and, and how that hit you. I, I remember um, you know, uh, incorrectly stating that you know, as soon as the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what, everything is going to lock up. We're going to see houses lose, I think they were saying at the time, 15 to 20 percent uh, value. Um, that there was going to be an issue with lending. I was thinking people aren't going to be getting into homes. It was almost like everything just uh, paused. Uh, tell me how that impacted Perch. Yeah, uh, so it was, I'd say, I, I mean, everybody is a really good investor with, with hindsight, right? But I don't think anybody could have predicted the last year and a half that we've had in housing. It was on fire, like way more than we've anybody thought. Um, but immediately the, the first part of the shock was that as soon as it hit, there was an overwhelmingly pessimistic view on housing across the country. Uh, and everybody, to your point, like 15, 20, even some estimates were as high as like 40, 50% price declines on the way kind of thing. Um, so there is purchase volumes for all intents and purposes kind of fell off a cliff. And it wasn't just because of market pessimism. It was actually reinforced by just the technology gaps that a lot of people then found themselves in. So you had realtors who had never used virtual showings. You had lenders who actually never had to set up working remotely for their staff. So that caused just giant friction points all across the process. Appraisers who couldn't come into the property, things like that. Um, so when you've got a process that's usually already a bit lethargic, that's made chaotic, it kind of turns a lot of people off away from that process. But then when you, when you take all of that, so what we saw is purchase volumes, essentially for all intents and purposes, fell off a cliff, like in the first three, four months in early 2020. Uh, and that really kind of made us go, oh, okay. So we, we were going to really focus on purchase volumes initially. 
Um, but then we found that that wasn't at all like where the market was. So we, we shifted our efforts to actually then just focus on different revenue streams. So particularly what we found is when the housing market took a turn, let's say in, in that sense for, for Outlook, um, market rates went, went way lower for renewals. So we had an overwhelming amount of demand of people going, hey, should I break my mortgage and get a new rate? Uh, we also had a huge demand for refinances for two reasons. So some people refinance to kind of cover, let's say any job losses so you can access the home equity to carry you through until your next job. Or actually a lot of people took a more a bullish view than the general market, refinance their home to have that cash saving, that pot of cash ready to buy an investment property when the opportunity presented itself. And a lot of people did. Uh, got in what arguably, as we know now, is a really good price in early to mid 2020, uh, and then kind of rode it out on the way up. So we essentially saw a complete change of, let's say before we were 70, 30 purchase, refi, re like renewal. And now it kind of flipped to 30, 70, where we just were able to make up revenue streams through there. So did, like for your business, did you dip at the beginning uh, and then recover quickly? Like what was the time scale looking like for you? Yeah, so it's typically, um, the, so the purchase sales cycle, let's call it, typically takes about three months. So, or actually three to four months, roughly. So you pre-approve someone, it usually takes about a couple months to find a house, and then it takes another, let's call it 60 or maybe 90 days to close. So due to that, we were essentially focusing on purchases, but they just weren't there in the beginning of the year. So there was roughly a four, let's call it four, five month period where it was a bit slower just because we didn't have purchase volumes coming in. But then by the time we were able to ramp up our, our efforts to focus on the partnerships, on the renewal, the refinance side, and to like kind of also steer and, and change some of our features to actually proactively engage with consumers around, hey, you could save this much money if you switch your mortgage, or hey, you have this much equity available in your home. Did you want to, did you need, to, did you need to access it? Uh, it then kind of came back really quickly. <laughs> So by the second half of 2020, we were already well ahead of where we were last year. And, and tell me about your growth. Uh, what does the last two years look like for Perch? Yeah, so at the end of last year, we were about five people. Uh, today, we're actually 14 people. So it's been crazy from, so from an, a full-time employee standpoint, we've had a lot of demand and that's kind of caused us to ramp up a lot of things. So on the product side, the engineering side. So we've, as a tech company, we essentially scaled up all parts of our product development so we can increase the velocity to capitalize on what we think are still a tremendous amount of opportunities out there. Um, and it also, uh, from like a revenue standpoint, we are able to grow more than 200% year over year. So we're on track to, essentially this year, we're gonna crack our, our first million uh, in revenue as a, as a new company. And then, yeah, it's, we, we couldn't be happier with how things are going right now. It's just a lot of good momentum that we're, we're, we're cruising through. That's that's awesome, and I mean a lot of a lot of people would speculate, and you know I've I've heard this number of times before where they speculate, well, you know that's that's amazing, Alex, like right place, right time, and you just you just did well, but I, I never find that to be real, right? Like you've uh, you've got real software, you've got real services, you've got demands, uh, especially in the housing market, like everything is service and time based, like you can't really mess that up. Yeah. Um, you're you're messing up people's futures in that case. How'd you do it? So uh, to your point, it's totally true where it's never like we just woke up that day and we're like, we need software. It was this is the three and a half year old company. So we were already kind of building towards a model that we thought was going to go fully digital. So the home buying process, the mortgage process, we, we just kind of knew that eventually it would get there. Um, where the luck kind of plays in is the fact that it accelerated how much people wanted to go there how quickly they wanted to go there. So not just the user who was now much more open to a digital option than before, um, but every other involved party. 
So the realtor who now needed, who typically, let's say, maybe relied on a traditional model, they now needed a digital alternative because that's all they were kind of stuck with. Or just getting bogged down in today, like even today, actually, you still have properties <laughs> going off the market in one day, two days, three days. Uh, we're able to turn pre-approvals around in 20 minutes. And then a lot of other lenders or, or alternatives are like three to five days. So there became this need for speed in a digital setting that essentially then increased adoption. So we found it easier to get partnerships, we found it easier to get consumers, uh, but most importantly, it then enabled us to keep growing our product as we increased our user base and our revenue stream to then keep adding features and we're essentially doing that still. And then going from five people to 14 people in, I mean, what we just described was like, you know, at the time of this episode, it's November 2nd, 2021 uh, from from last year to here that that's 10 11 months yeah. uh, tripling your team how has that been it has been uh, <laughs> so I've had to wear my HR hat a lot uh, which which is interesting to kind of bring in a lot of the right people um, so interestingly we found a couple of our staff actually that were were users of our of our product so they just really liked it and then the conversation started of hey you know if if you guys ever need this kind of person let me know so I tapped him on the shoulder this year I was like hey the, <laughs> that time is now uh, so that was awesome to kind of find some of those really key hires just as users who really believed in what we're doing and then other than that it was just bringing in a tremendous amount of people. So what we found is that it's awesome since being a fully remote company, we're able to hire across Canada. So we picked up some people in the GTA, in Ottawa, in Victoria, in Vancouver. Um, so we essentially have grown our team, but I think it's made it a lot easier just in not being locationally uh, stuck to where we can find our talent. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge advantage where like we don't, you know, the, the playing field is leveled in regards to, okay, well, I'm physically at this office or I'm with this like startup remote company, I'm gonna be working from my kitchen, I'm not really sure if I can trust them, right? It's, it's all kind of leveled out, right? People understand that, I mean, remote work has, has been around for decades. Uh, we, we started fully remote, then we went to an office, then we're hybrid and, and we're still trying to figure it out. But um, it's amazing just to see the kind of advantage of just going like national without really having to put a lot of equity down. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, I mean, we were lucky because we, I know a lot of people were kind of tied down by like a new office lease or things like that right when it started. Uh, we, we never had an office. So essentially it was just something that we were on the fence about and this kind of just sealed it for us in regards to, all right, not anytime soon, but like maybe let's say far in the future, but, but not today kind of thing. Because um, we found that it actually was a huge selling point for people. Like a lot of people were looking for remote only opportunities. Um, so we're like, all right, well, if that's, you know, that's what the people want. <laughs> so. So during this time, what has been the uh, the hardest part of your growth? Has it been on the technology side? You kind of mentioned like, hey, I feel like I'm a full-time HR person, but it sounds like you guys are building a really cool team. Um, what do you feel like has been the most difficult thing in, in tripling a company in that race to the first million dollars? Um, from your perspective as a tech company, like, like I would say born before the pandemic, but really have had all of your growth um, because of the situation that we kind of find ourselves in, what's been the most difficult thing? I'd say the there's like the, an inflection point of growth. So what happens is normally when you're when you're five people, it's fairly easy to stay on top of everything. It's very easy to kind of have an idea of what everyone else is doing. As soon as you kind of cross that, like I'd say maybe the 10, 12 person mark, you need a lot more process in regards to how things are done. So it becomes a lot harder to oversee everyone directly. So you, so for us, really the big emphasis for me especially was to actually find really senior level people that could run entire departments. Um, so delegating a lot, but then also doing it in a way where we don't lose, let's say the, the focus that we had before and the velocity and how fast we were releasing a product. 
So I'd say that there is an element of there's so much opportunity that you want to capitalize on very quickly, but then you're a bit limited by how quickly you can capitalize on it. So that's really what prompts you to then hire in those people so you can capitalize on it. Uh, but juggling all those things at the same time in regards to getting the capital, you need to have the runway to hire those people, but then also at the same time then hiring the right people, but then making sure that they have enough coaching, uh, you spend enough time with them to make sure that they're in alignment of what needs to get done and kind of what the product vision is. And at the same time, maintaining customer service so you don't want to take in, you know, 10 times as many users and then give them all a really bad experience. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a juggling act to essentially grow at the right pace is really kind of how I'd, I'd sum it up. Is So finding that balance where you're not too fast in the sense where things start to suffer or too slow where you're then essentially not growing as fast as you need to be. Yeah, I, I'm uh, thinking of the uh, episode of The Incredibles with Flash kind of running that race and then, you know, at the end, you know, he starts running too fast and the parents are like, slow down, slow down. And it's like, there's, there's a healthy medium there. Now, you mentioned something, uh, you mentioned something in this that uh, that's interesting because a lot of times when you've got a team of five, um, you're a bit of a startup vibe, right? Younger crew doing something different, remote working, and yet you're saying, okay, and then you're bringing in senior people, uh, and senior people is um, is not always what like those startups look for. They kind of like, okay, let's just fill in seats and just get somebody to do the job, uh, and yet you're going for senior people right away. Uh, tell me, like, what was that decision making process for you? Because um, I know that like when you're hiring a senior, senior person, sometimes you just, you're literally like giving up your paycheck uh, to somebody else to hopefully do a job, to hopefully bring you to the next level, which is really high risk. Uh, so what kind of led you to that decision? No, you're totally right in the sense that uh, to hire senior people, one, it's, it, it takes, like it, they're really hard to find, like somebody who's uh, able to embrace the skill set, but like it's almost like you need somebody who can oversee everything, but also roll up their sleeves and do a lot of it. Because when you're a small company, you, you, like you're not in a position where you need someone to just delegate and oversee, like pretty much everyone is all hands on deck. Uh, so that's really tough to find and a lot of, uh, I'd say that that's why a lot of these roles can sometimes take, you know, two, three, four, maybe even like a couple of them, like, like over four months to fill. Um, but I definitely have no regrets in that sense because you're, you're, you're right in the sense of you raise capital to essentially, so you, you give up part of your company to make sure you can bring these people in. Uh, but it's f so far from my opinion, it's a hundred percent worth it uh, because you start seeing velocity, but it's also just the quality of what comes out. Um, I think it's anybody can really kind of, you know, go full steam ahead with three, four, five people. But once you go past that, you start seeing the, the ramifications of essentially not having that senior person in it because one um, junior or more junior staff still need that guidance and somebody that can help them grow professionally, which isn't me. <laughs> so for example, I'm not, a, I'm not a marketer, I'm not a designer. Those are things that aren't really my skill set. So you can bring in people that are going to want to really be scrappy, but I think... Um, I wouldn't count out people that are more senior in their career as not wanting that as well. Because I think ultimately what you really sell people on when they're that that stage of their career is the ability to have a lot of input over what it is that they do and be attached to what it is that they're actually doing. So a sense of purpose of I'm actually solving a really huge problem and everything I do is essentially going to be immediately recognized and visible. Um, if you're able to kind of get those key things, then everything else almost becomes secondary. Wow. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, I, I think a lot of people need to be kicked in order to kind of hire the right person, the next person, uh, people with experience, right? Because you're right, when you're going that fast, you don't have the time to learn or to have failed projects, failed marketing. Uh, and 
uh, and it's bold. It's it's really hard, you know, hiring people that are smarter than yourself uh, to to lead stuff. Uh, but you know, I've heard the quote before. It's like if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. And uh, but it's it's a it's a humble thing that you've done just to kind of make sure that you know the right people are in to help you grow to the next spot. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what what mistakes do you feel like you've made over the last two years? Uh, any mistakes that you kind of look back and say, man, you know, either we missed this or didn't do it um, as well as we could have. Um, you know, just because everything's changing so quickly, we make a lot of decisions on a regular basis. Uh, if you were to look back at people in the same industry and saying, don't do this, what would that be? Yeah, it's a really good question. In the past two years, I mean, I know we don't have enough time to go through all of these mistakes, because <laughs> I know a lot have definitely been made. Uh, let's see here, the main ones I'd highlight. I'll just take a second to think about that one. So I'd say, so the first one I'll maybe highlight uh, is maybe earlier on, I'd say maybe in the, in the year before, or maybe, maybe a year and a half back. So I think, especially depending on what your level of experience is in doing this. So for example, like this is my first startup. I haven't done this before. Uh, so for me, there's like a level of perfectionism that you're used to in a corporate environment before anything kind of goes to market. So I remember early on, like I'd want to go through a ton of user interviews, a ton of QA, all these things to make it before anything ever saw the light of day. Um, but what we found now is that obviously you vet all the core things that are mandatory before anything goes to the, to the public, but it's honestly so much better to like just run experiments and get things out faster to learn faster because a lot of the things that we've invested tons of time into building end up being features that no one cares about or things that no one's going to actually buy into, uh, or like a, a useless customer journey. Um, so that learning cycle is definitely one thing that I've learned a lot about in the last year and a half, uh, two years, that now I think we have down to a much better, uh, down to the science, let's say. Uh, the second thing is, so I guess ours is a bit of a unique situation and part of the reason why I'm so glad to bring in a lot of these people is, so we bootstrapped as far as we could essentially, so we, we recently uh, raised capital. Uh, but I think one of the things is initially you, you're, you're really, gritty about how you spend that money. So you want to try to do everything yourself. Uh, so I remember like, I literally learned how to like taught myself to code, took growth marketing classes, took HubSpot courses, like Google analytics. And at some point I even started doing front end development, but I hit a breaking point where I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's a limit to how many things you're able to do. And then there's a like, especially how many, how competently you can do things. So I think at some point when you're starting a company, there's only so much you can really bootstrap. You have to really kind of identify what are the core weaknesses you have and find somebody to do them early or else you slow yourself down. All your other, your strengths aren't being spent where they need to be spent. And then once you get comfortable around that, I'd say that was probably like the first six to eight months of me starting this business. I was kind of in that mentality where it was me and like one other part-time person. But now like bringing in the right people uh, made a huge difference. And then also you get a lot more out of what it is you're doing. Because ultimately, I don't think you, nobody sets out to build a company to own 100% of their company and be like, you know, the like build this empire that they own 100% of. It's more of you really want to solve a problem. And then that's really kind of the main thing that drives you. So bringing in the right investors and people and kind of sharing uh, in, in a bit of the gains of as it goes enables you to get a lot more done faster. And it also genuinely increases the satisfaction you even have with running a business. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I think yeah, it's a lesson for any entrepreneur of, okay, we can go cheap, but don't go too cheap. Yeah. Uh, you know, like find the areas that you, you can get away with stuff, but 
uh, not everything, right? Um, you know, as a marketing company, sometimes I, I see startups and I'm like, wow, did, did you design your logo? They're like, yes, I did. You're like, I, I know. Like, you know, like <laughs> we, we understand that you have. And, uh, and everything that I've seen of Perch Online has been, uh, you know, has been high quality. Uh, it, it seems like you guys know what you're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, it, even when we make mistakes along the way, uh, you guys have been very, very quick, or it sounds like you've been very quick to kind of say, okay, here's a breaking point we need to change. Here's a breaking point we need to change. Uh, Alex, really appreciate the interview time today. Uh, I think for, for myself, I personally learned a lot. Um, bringing in senior people early, uh, you know, the, I think Vern Harnish uh, coins it return on luck, where sometimes we all get lucky, uh, but are we actually acting on that luck? And it seems like you guys have, have really pushed hard to uh, just do well during the time that you know home ownership is a struggle. It's it's now a major political issue uh, for for Canadians, and uh, you know you've combined the right people, the right technology, and looks like you're building the right processes to really expand. So congrats on your success. Really excited to see Perch grow over the next couple of years, and uh, just really appreciate the learnings you gave us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, awesome to talk about what we're doing and uh, also just, uh, yeah, if any of this helps the, the next entrepreneur kind of get the, to where, where we're going, it's uh, all the better. Fantastic. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of CandyCast. If you like what you've heard, make sure to hit the subscribe button for more sweet conversations. Also, continue the conversation with us on social media by following us on Instagram and Facebook at CandyCast Club. Until next time, thanks again for listening and stay sweet.